Good morning. <laughs> so I'm here in the church again preaching this morning because I am holding out. Uh, I'm not sure if I could record from home like a lot of uh, pastors and teams are doing. I'm not sure if I could sit down in a chair and, and try to be really civilized and teach you guys something. But I guess we'll find out soon. We'll see from week to week how this is going to go. Uh, last week, we said that I was preaching to the choir because they were the only ones who were here. This week, I don't know if you could tell, but we've lost half the choir. <laughs> so uh, by next week, it looks like I'll just be preaching to my wife. And uh, she says that that's normal, though. I'm constantly preaching to her. So I remember when I first started preaching, there was only three or four people in the church at that time. And uh, I remember feeling like I would preach to those three or four forever if they would let me. Uh, I remember feeling like the word of God is so important and uh, what a great opportunity it is that I have to be able to share it with people. So it didn't really matter uh, how many people were here to listen. And I think, uh, I don't think that I've lost that love, uh, but I know in this season I'm being reminded uh, of why I do what I do. And I know that I'm being reminded, like many of you, about what actually matters most uh, in this life. So I think Jesus has a way of removing all of the peripheral, all of the side issues in our lives and uh, getting us right down to the core of our lives and right down to the core of the things that matter most. Isaiah's prophecy, this is 700 years before uh, Jesus was on the earth. He said that when the Messiah comes, he'll be a wonderful counselor. So when you come to sit with Jesus and he's your counselor, we come to him and we are sure about our issues. We're sure about the things that we've been going through and dealing with. We are sure about the cases that we've built up against people who have wronged us and people who have hurt us. And we begin to sit down with the Lord and, and talk to him as our counselor. And it just seems like he peels away layer after layer after layer. And before we know it, we're talking to him about something that was not even on the agenda. <laughs> this isn't what I came to talk to you about, Lord. This isn't uh, uh, what I expected you to say about the people that have been wronging me and hurting me. But he is a wonderful counselor. He gets us down to the things that matter most. The things that he wants to talk to us about. This is John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not even hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. 
So I love this story for a lot of reasons, but one is because Jesus doesn't just strip away the peripheral issues in our lives on a couch during a uh, counseling session, right? He strips away these peripheral issues in our lives right in the thick of our lives, in the middle of our trials, in the place where we actually live, in the place where we actually are encountering one another. This woman has a husband. This woman has another man she's involved with. This woman has a community of accusers that she has to deal with. And she also has guilt and shame that she's dealing with. And what does Jesus do? He strips all of those things away. And he says to her, let's deal with your actual sin and your sin nature instead of the symptoms and the collateral damage. Right? He says, it's not your condemnation of yourself. It's not the condemnation of other men or other women who are around you that actually matters. He says, it's my condemnation that determines whether you live or whether you die, and I do not condemn you. What a wonderful thing that is. He says, if you accept my salvation and turn from your sins, you're going to live. And I love how many times Jesus says this throughout the scriptures. He tells people, now go and sin no more. We rarely see this part in the scripture, but this is how the church is actually built. Jesus reveals himself to somebody. Jesus strips away the peripheral. He gets down to the core. He gets down to sin itself, not sins that we're committing. He gets down to how are you condemned, either self-condemnation or the condemnation of others, and he removes all that stuff out of the way, and he says, it's really about my judgment, what I have to say, right? And then he gives us this opportunity to respond to him. And if we do, we find life, we find hope, and we find freedom. He says so many times in the scripture, he says, now go and sin no more. The reason I love that statement from Jesus is... What we're supposed to do with that is we turn and we get ready to run and say, I can go. I'm free. I don't have to sin anymore. I'm not condemned. I've been forgiven. And as soon as we take one or two steps away, we're supposed to realize that we don't know how to go and sin no more. We don't know how to actually live a godly life. We don't know how to actually follow Christ and live the way that we were created to live. So what we're supposed to do is take a step, take two steps, maybe at the most, and turn back and come and say, Jesus, you've got to help me. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for not condemning me. But now, if you want me to live a life that is godly and learn how not to sin, I've got to be with you. So we come back to him. I've been saved for about 16 years now, and that's been the testimony of my life. Every morning, I wake up and I say, Lord, how? How do I live the way you want me to live? How do I go and sin no more? How do I take what you've offered me and given me uh, and live in a way that's honoring to you? So why don't we pray one more time and see what else the Lord has for us as we come back to him. So Lord, we thank you this morning. Um, that each and every one of us can find ourselves in that place with you where we have not been condemned, where we have been forgiven, where we've been set free, where we've been released from the bondage, Lord God. And you've told us to go and sin no more. This morning, we've come back to you asking you how. 
This morning, we've come back to your word, asking you, please reveal to us what it is that you're doing. Tell us why this word is alive and powerful, as you say, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, that it can give us what it is that we're looking for, that it can lead us in the right direction, Lord God. Jesus, we've come to you on many different platforms, Lord, in our homes, on the internet, in our word, Lord, with friends, by ourselves, with our family, with our kids. You see each and every one of us where we are and you have something for us, Lord. I ask that you would help us to not be distracted, that you would help us to not be focused on the peripheral, Lord God, that you would give us an ability this morning to get down to the core of our lives, get down to the core of our issues, Lord Jesus, that you would be able, Lord, to be our wonderful counselor. We need you, Lord. We've come to you. All of our hope is in you, Lord. Have your way this morning. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we started with this story of the woman caught in adultery, but I want to shift the focus onto her accusers. The title of the message this morning, if you're taking notes, uh, is Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace. Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace. These guys had so much to say, uh, and they were so sure of themselves. But when Jesus did this whole I am the light of the world thing, he showed them how things really are. They were silenced. They knew that this woman was guilty and they knew that they were righteous and they put themselves and they put her on trial and they came to Jesus with all these things to say, testing him, as the scripture says. And then Jesus silences everybody. Jesus so quickly shined his light and revealed who they really were and who the woman really was and who he really is. And that's what silenced everyone. The idea behind this speak now or forever hold your peace is that if these accusers couldn't speak in this moment, then they need to forever hold their peace. This is their moment. Right. And if Jesus shines a light that reveals some things and they can't keep speaking, they can't keep accusing. They can't keep holding themselves to this high esteem. It's not just like, hey, maybe in the next situation or maybe next week or maybe next year, we'll still be able to be men of influence or women of influence. No, when the light has shined, if you can't speak in that light, then you need to forever hold your peace. They don't get to accuse others tomorrow. They don't get to wait till Jesus goes on to the next city or on to the next community, right? And then come back in and try to be men and women of influence again. The light's shining now, and there's no turning it off. There's no dimming it from this point forward. I think this truth is important for us to see in 2020. If we open our eyes right now, there's this kind of global silencing that I think is happening. A light is, is, is being shown down. And people who were talking are now quiet. People who had a lot to say don't have so much to say now. And I think if you can't speak now, then you need to forever hold your peace. First Corinthians 1.19 says, It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe or lawyer? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So where are all the advocates? Where are all the causes that used to be so important? Where are all the movements 
And where are all the so-called leaders? All these people that were building their brands, all these people that convinced us to follow them and to follow their way of life, where are they now? I don't hear any of that anymore. I don't see any of that anymore. In a matter of weeks, silence. Where are all the people who have chosen a cause? And we thought that they were willing to die for that cause. And they wanted us to be willing to die for that cause. It was the most important thing in the world. What happened? Isn't life about America and democracy and Republicans and Democrats? Isn't life about education and capitalism? Isn't life about the economy? Or, or isn't life about sex and gender? Like these are the causes, these are the voices, these are the ones that are shouting from the housetops. These are the hills that we're running up to die on because this is what matters most. And now silence. All of a sudden these things don't quite matter as much. It's as if every cause and every figure has taken that rock, right, that they had in their hand. They were stoning the world with it, proclaiming their righteousness and the guilt of others. It's as if they've been forced to drop those rocks, quarantine themselves, and now they've gone silent. So I say, speak now or forever hold your peace. If it's not important anymore, then don't act like it's important in a few weeks or a few months or a few years from now. I think we've come to a place where the only voices that matter are saying what the voice of the church has been saying all along, that this life is about life. It's about the life of every individual and ultimately it's about the life of Christ. People are starting to focus on the right question and when this question of life itself is actually answered, then I think we can move on to living and quality of life. We've gotten it backwards a lot of times where we focus on living our lives. We focus on the quality of life that we're trying to aspire to, right, that we're trying to reach. And we don't think first about life itself, the source of life, the purpose of life. So what is life? Where does it come from? What is its purpose? And what is life intended to produce? These are the questions we should be asking. These are the questions that need to be answered. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, This is eternal life that you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So life is about knowing God, about knowing the Son. We do that through the Holy Spirit. And life is about understanding that Jesus is our source of life, to give us life and to give us an abundant life. So while most of the world is sheltering in place, I think this is a good place for us to try to begin to understand some of the questions about life itself. I was on a conference call for work this week, and the person that was speaking accidentally said shuddering in place instead of sheltering in place. And I thought, wow, nobody, I don't know if anybody else caught it, but nobody said anything. And I thought to myself, wow, I wonder, 
the reality of that. How many people are at home right now and they are shuddering in place? Bound, afraid, right? Worried. Every day, every hour, every minute. Find a, find a minute of joy. Find a, find a movie on Netflix, whatever it is. And then as soon as that's done, it's back to shuddering and, and dealing with the reality of their situation and circumstance. Confinement teaches us a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? I remember running through life at a pace that I now know was not sustainable. I know now that uh, what I wanted most was not to be confined, not to be stuck, not to have to sit still. I hoped that by running at that pace and living at that pace and going from thing to thing, right, that I wouldn't have to deal with the real me, my real issues, that these things would never catch up with me as long as I could keep running. So it was only when I could not run anymore and when there were no more doors to duck into and places to hide that the truth about myself and my life actually became clear to me, stuck in a place where this light could actually shine down. This is James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So when I couldn't run anymore and I was confined Jesus shined his light on me, and what I saw was too much for me to handle. I almost committed suicide, and that's why I shared this scripture about sin when it's full grown, it brings forth death, because I experienced it, right? I found myself one day sitting with a, with a knife in my hand, holding it against my wrist, about to kill myself, and, and I asked myself, how did I get here? How did the events of my life lead to this place where now I'm ready to end my life? I was popular, I was athletic, I was educated, I was extroverted, but here I was shuddering in place. Because at this time it was just me. No more doors to run into, no more hiding I could do, no more energy to keep running from the things I was trying to avoid. So Jesus signs this light and he said to me, speak now or forever hold your peace. If you've got something to say, if you've got a defense, if you've got a, uh, a story that you want to tell, a way that you want to paint this picture, speak now or forever hold your peace. I remember feeling like he's asking me, are you the truth? Are you really living? Are you wise? Are you valuable? Are you loving? Are you any of the things that you claim to be? It was too much for me to bear. Like I said, had that knife. But then I heard for myself what I believe this woman caught in adultery heard. I felt like I heard the Lord say, Vaughn, I did not come to condemn you. I didn't shine this light to condemn you. The devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you could have life and that you could have life more abundantly. See, the choice is always between Jesus and the devil. It's always between, therefore, life and death, right? 
And it doesn't matter whether that's just in the spiritual realm, right, for eternal life or in the physical realm like I was experiencing and physically about to commit suicide. It's always that choice that we're being given. So right now, what I picture in the world that we're living in is so many people have to stop running. They have to unmask themselves and see themselves for who they really are. See their loved ones for who they really are. See the world for what it really is. We've been pushed into this position where we can't run anymore and there's no more doors to duck into. So I've been praying uh, for myself, praying for others, praying for the world that we live in because, believe me, I know how hard that can be. Another thing I know is that there are a lot of people who are in their homes with their spouses, with their kids, and they're using these relationships, your spouses, your kids, your family structure to still run. Even though you've been confined, even though you've been placed where you have to be home, we can find ourselves running in place. It's like a spiritual treadmill, right? So we're in the house, but we're going to focus on our spouse and what they're doing wrong or what I'm doing wrong, or we're going to argue, or we're going to just stay busy, or we're going to focus on the kids. They're not in school, so let's run to the store and buy them some stuff so they can do arts and crafts. Let's get them outside. Let's exercise. We're just running in place so that we don't have to stop and actually deal with who we are. So interesting how hard it is to stop. So here's what I want to do briefly this morning. I want to share three things uh, that I think will be helpful, that I think will be encouraging for us as we shelter in place or as we shudder in place, as uh, we find ourselves in this time of, of silence where all the advocates and the causes um, have stopped speaking. The first, number one, stop running and look at yourself. Stop running and look at yourself. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13 says again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's Hebrews 2, 13 through 15, one of my favorite scriptures. What it's talking about, fear of self, fear of death binds us, holds us captive. It says that Jesus came in the flesh. He took on a body just like we have a body. It says that he dies, right? He's the perfect sacrifice. He's sinless. So therefore, his sinlessness when he dies allows us to be pardoned. All of us sinners who would turn to him, we can be pardoned. He's sinless. We get that uh, imputed to us. We get to be clothed in his righteousness, right? But this rising from the dead issue, this rising from the dead is about removing the fear of death that holds us captive and holds us in bondage. The scripture says, he came and he released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The idea is that we live in a way where we are running from the light, where we're running from ourselves to try to stay free and to try to live the life that we think we want to live. But the reality is, is that we are bound. We are afraid of dying, right? They say you only live once. The idea of that is that you should live 
as crazy as you want to because this is the only chance that you've got. When we make decisions about, uh, we, heard, we heard Gary get up here and talk about withholding now. Don't withhold, still release. What we're saying is, look, I'm afraid of not having enough, so I'm going to live bound by hoarding what it is that I do have. I'm afraid of not getting to experience certain things, so I'm going to go out there and try to experience all that I can. You're actually bound. There's this fear of not having enough. There's this fear of dying. And it says that Jesus, right, he comes in the flesh. He dies for us. But when he rises from the dead, what he's saying is you don't even have to fear death. Most people look at Christians and the life that we live and they say this is such a restrictive life. All these things that you can't do. But I can promise you this. For real Christians who are out there, if you ask them, they would tell you that the life they used to live cannot compare to the freedom they now have in Christ. When we thought we were free, when we thought we were making our own decisions, when we thought that this is the life that we wanted to live, when you actually see the light, when you stop and you have to look at yourself, when you get to see Jesus for who he is and what he's actually offering you, what you realize is that I was bound, but now I'm free. Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. It's, it's, the scripture says that you can do whatever you want. You've been forgiven. You're free in Christ, but it's not necessarily profitable. You make your own decisions. I'm not restricted because I'm forced to live a particular way. It's because every day when you come back to the Lord and you ask him, how do I live this life? You realize that it's for your good. When you see yourself through the eyes of God and you recognize that he's actually transforming you, you're able to sit with yourself. You're able to be in quarantine without losing your mind. You begin to see what it means to be you. You begin to see why he created you, why he would say things like he knows the number of hairs on your head, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And even though you know you're far from completion, you're able to sit with yourself. Philippians 1.6 says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. When you realize that he saved you, he started this, this new life, you've been born again, you're starting over. It's okay to know that you're in process. Other people might look at you and say, uh, there ain't much to you. <laughs> there ain't much hope for you. You say that you're a Christian now, but you look and you sound exactly like you did before. And that's fine. That's what most of us go through and what most of us experience, especially early on. But there's nothing like being able to sit with yourself Stop running, look at yourself in the mirror and be able to say, look, the one who's begun a good work in me, he's going to complete it. He's going to finish the work that he started. So for the believers, not just those who are, are non-believers, not just those who are in the world, but those who are believers, I think we too at this time, this time of social distancing, this time of sheltering in place, we have to make sure that we haven't begun to run from ourselves again. We can't, we can't outrun sin, and many of us, as believers, we find ourselves running again. We run to ministry, we run to serving, we run to doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing, right? Hey, I, I read my scripture today. I went to every service this month. I gave my tithe and I gave my offering. I planned and prepared to preach. I plan and prepare to serve. I teach in the children's church, whatever it is. 
But a lot of times we can be doing those things and just running and running and running so that we don't have to actually sit still and deal with ourselves. It's not just the world that I believe God is saying, speak now or ever hold your peace. Be silent, stop, sit down and look at yourself, but to the church as well, to the individual Christian as well. When he does that, he says, be still and know that I am God. The church functioned before you became a part of it. <laughs> All those ministries that we were involved in have come to a screeching halt. If we were finding our identity in those things, if we were finding ourselves encouraged and strengthened by these things that we were running to do, now we have to ask ourselves, where should our identity be found? There's no children in the church this week to teach. There's no outreach plan to go out and reach. Can we sit with ourselves? Like all those that Jesus healed, all those that Jesus forgave, and he told them to go and sin no more, this time of isolation is a great opportunity for us to turn back to Jesus and say, Lord, I can't do this without being close to you. Right? I want to be close to you day by day. I want to walk with you. I want to hear from you. So number one, we have to stop running and we have to look at ourselves. Number two, love is still in season. I love that, uh, again, Gary got up here and he said, it's not just about your finances. It's not just about giving. We have to love each other. We have to reach out more. He says, I'm challenged to call my brothers. I'm challenged to call my sisters. We've got to reach out and love. A while back uh, in the summer, we said, uh, love is going to be in season this summer. There are certain fruits and certain flowers that only grow and only bloom in certain seasons. But love is always in season. It doesn't matter if it's a season of plenty, a season of lack. Right. It doesn't matter if it's a hot season or a cold season. Love is still in season. The church has to figure out how to keep gathering now when gathering is no longer allowed. Right. It's 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 a priority. We still have to connect. So what do we do? All pastors now are becoming IT specialists, looking up how to live stream and how to do videos. And we got to do it all. We got to figure it out. Why? Because the people still got to gather. It's the church. You look at businesses. Businesses have to figure out in this season, how are we going to survive when business is no longer allowed? We can't be open. We can't have our workers here. There's certain jobs, certain businesses that you cannot do remotely. And they're not just going to shut these things down. They're going to say, how do we weather this storm? What can we do in this season to prepare for hopefully another season to come? When it comes to love, what we knew as love was so easy. We could just go out and, and, and have a meal together. We could go out uh, and go to the movies. We could hold hands. We could walk in the park. We could do all these things. We could get with friends. We could have parties. We could do all these kind of things. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff comes to a stop. But God doesn't say, okay, we'll, we'll get back to love later. He says, no, it's a new world. It's a new season. And love is still in season. You've got to figure it out. I remember, uh, I say like it was so long ago, like three weeks ago, <laughs> when we would get a babysitter, me and Mary couldn't wait. We would just go anywhere, do anything. Last night, we had the, the kids uh, with, with her parents, and it's 7 o'clock, and we're driving home, and I'm like, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. We can't even go get a cup of coffee. 
we got to go out to dinner. We got to go out and, and sit in public and, and have a cup of coffee to love each other. No, we got to go home, sit on the couch and figure out how to love each other. Love's still got to be in season. But it's got to shift. It's got to be done differently. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment, and he doesn't say unless you're quarantined. <laughs> unless you're broke. Unless you're tired. Unless you're angry. Unless you're sad. Unless somebody has done you wrong. No, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, period, point blank, all the time, every season, doesn't matter how you feel or what you're going through. He says, this is the great commandment. So now we've been forced to figure out how do we actually do that when it's not easy. What I think we've been seeing is that in this season, the greedy are more greedy. The angry are more angry. The haters are more hateful. The church needs to be more loving than ever before in this time of crisis. We were at the store at, at Target uh, a couple days ago, and we were walking down the aisle, and it was like Terminator. Everything went red, and I focused in. I saw antibacterial soap. And it was like, I'm kicking people's carts out of the way. I'm running down the aisle. I dive. I grab all the antibacterial soap. I fall to the ground. I say, Mary, bring the carts. There was like six little bottles. And I threw them in the cart. And then as soon as I did, and I was so proud of myself for finding some antibacterial soap, I look and this lady is looking at me like I'm a crazy man. And she's also in the soap aisle. And I thought to myself, what do I do? So I looked at her. And I said, look, I got six bottles. You can get one. <laughs> no, I gave her two. I gave her two of my bottles of this antibacterial soap. And I didn't know this till later, but, but Mary told me later that she was kind of angry and she felt it rising up in her like, baby, that's our soap. We fought for it. But the cool thing was that at the end of the story, we get to the we get to the checkout line and I'm, and I'm buying all of our stuff. And the lady has already thanked us twice. She finds us in our checkout line and she says, thank you so much for giving this to me. And I thought to myself, like, yeah, that's that's what it should be about. Right. We should be more loving and more giving in this time, not less loving and less giving. And then as she gets her groceries and she actually walks out before us, we see this other lady literally run her over with her cart. Same lady, she hit her in the back of her feet and then she told her, excuse me, man, and she moved around her and took off. And I'm like, man, the, the angry people are more angry and the loving people need to be more loving. Ask yourself, what's coming out of you right now? More love? More joy? More reaching out? More giving? More help? More willingness? Or less? I love to see people FaceTiming with their family right now, chatting with friends. People are posting pictures of their computer and they got like 27 people on there. I think it's great. But I think love has to be 
not only about connecting with one another, reaching out to one another, calling one another, giving of your antibacterial soap to one another, it's actually also got to include what we're talking about when we do connect. We have to add truth to the conversations. We have to ask deeper questions when we're connected with one another. We have to recognize people who, when we do connect with them, are they in fear? Are they shuddering in place and not just sheltering in place? Do they have peace? Is there something that we can offer them? Deeper questions that we have to ask. In the book of Acts, there's a man named uh, Stephen. And in uh, Acts chapter 7, he's testifying about Jesus. And he's actually talking to the church and to the leaders, to the people, the community there. And he's taking them through this history lesson. He starts all the way in the beginning and he goes through Moses and he goes through all these different periods and all the prophets that lead up to Jesus. He's trying to take them through this history lesson to show them who Jesus is, but also where they got off track and how far off track they are. Stephen's one of the people. He loves the people. These are his people. But he's not just trying to connect with them. He's not just trying to to be a lover of his people. He's actually adding truth to the conversation in a very, very difficult and hostile time. When you get a chance, read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read a little bit of it here to you from Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 48. This is what he says at the end. And what I want you to do is, is ask yourself if you can see the love for God and the love for neighbor in Stephen in this time of crisis. It's a time of crisis for him, just like it is for many of us. This is the end of it, Acts chapter 7, verse 48. Stephen says, The Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We have to love well in this season and love has to be truthful and it has to be sacrificial Stephen is adding truth to the conversation to people that don't want to hear it 
this is the church, these are the Jews, and this is why they're angry because he's telling them, look, your fathers didn't listen and you're not listening. They killed the prophets and you killed the prophet, the just one, the son of God that came. He's explaining to them how to get back on track. Now, believe me, I understand. Every time you get on FaceTime, you're not going to be able to have that kind of conversation. Every time you talk to a friend or a coworker or a family member, you may not be able to have that kind of conversation. But we need to be prayerful and trying to figure out how do we talk to people about what actually matters most? Before we went into this shelter in place and before we all had to start working from home, um, a coworker of mine was actually let go. He was a, 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 a very high level person um, in our company. He was let go just a week before that. And then uh, the spirit just about four or five days later, I just couldn't take it anymore. Got his personal phone number and I called him. And we talked. He was really appreciative for the call. And then we were about to get off the phone. And I said, I said, hey, man, do you mind if I pray for you? I'm a pastor. And it was still a huge leap of faith and step of faith. And he said, yes. And we, we prayed. We weren't messing around with prayer. Like, we were really praying. And then when, when we hung up the phone and I got off the phone, I said to myself, why does it take somebody having to lose their livelihood and I, I know that they're going through something and I, I've got to call them um, what might be one of the last times we talk for me to talk to him about what matters most. We worked together for a long time. There were days where I'd come in and see that he's overwhelmed or struggling and didn't say anything. Now is no time to pull back when it comes to love, when it comes to truth. Now is the time for the church for sure to engage and to press in and to take steps of faith and to take leaps of faith and to take risks to talk to people about what matters most. All of us know people who are shuddering in place right now. And they're looking at us to say, do you have a peace that surpasses understanding? We always hear that about you Christians. Or do you look just like the rest of us? Do you talk just like the rest of us? Are you afraid just like the rest of us? So number one, stop running, look at yourself. Number two, love is still in season, but love with truth. And finally, number three, eat, drink, and be merry. If you can stop running in this season, look at yourself. If you can love God and love others in the midst of your struggles, anxieties, captivity, and quarantine, I believe that that next step, what God says to you and what God says to me, is go. Now go, eat, drink, and be merry. This is Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read from verse 4. Many of us know Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, but we'll read a little bit more today. Verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word, word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I love that when we get a little bit more context with this scripture, it's not just I know the plans I have towards you. I have a future and a hope. What it's actually talking about is when you find yourself in a place of destitution, when you find yourself in a place of fear, when you find yourself in captivity, it says that they were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, that they were put in, uh, they were bound, right? They became servants, they became slaves. God says, when you find yourself there, I don't want you to shudder in place. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. He says, buy houses, get married, plant gardens, live in that place as if you were still in the Holy Land. And I thought about that when it comes to my life, when it comes to your life, when it comes to the lives that I'm seeing people live right now in captivity, taken from what they know and placed in this position that maybe they don't want to be in. How are we living? Are we planting gardens, bearing fruit, getting married, buying houses, because we just know that we know that we know that we're going to come out of this. God's going to show himself and reveal himself. Or are we shuddering in place? We are where we are, but we can live and we can have joy. I performed a wedding here on Friday. And it was one of my favorites that I've ever performed. All right. We were uh, just a few, of us, a few of us, obviously. And all the things that typically come along with a wedding were stripped away. It's kind of like that story with, with the, uh, the woman I started with this morning, how everything got stripped away and it was just her and Jesus. This couple, typically a wedding, you guys all know, it comes with all this stuff. But one by one, it got stripped away, stripped away taken away, canceled by them in certain circumstances and instances, right? And what we were left with was two people who understood God, who understood love, and understood what marriage was truly all about. I say that it was one of the favorites that I've ever performed because it's rare to get to see it so clearly that people really understand what marriage is supposed to be about. Others would have, and I'm sure a lot have, postponed so that they could have a better presentation. But this couple moved forward because they understood the purpose of what they were doing, right? Just think about that for a second. <laughs> Imagine people who were ready to get married, ready to have this ceremony, ready to enter into their future together. And imagine them saying, let's not do that 
because of all the people that aren't going to be able to be here, because of all the gifts we won't receive, because of the reception that we're not going to be able to have. The, the presentation has been substituted for the actual purpose of what a marriage is really all about. We should be looking at people who are postponing marriages and saying, you're crazy. You obviously don't understand what this is really all about. But instead, most of us are looking at people who are getting married and saying, what's wrong with you? It's like focusing on living and quality of life before you focus on where life comes from and the purpose of life. We got a call. The, the ceremony was on, on Friday. We got a call on Saturday from the couple. First a text, then a call, and they were telling us how blessed they were and how happy they were. And one of the things that stood out the most to me, because they're human, right? It was a good day, and it was blessed and all that kind of stuff. But I think leading up to it, there was obviously some challenges in that process. But one of the things that stood out the most to me is that they called and they said, uh, God knew what we wanted more than we knew what we wanted. When it was all over, right, they were so happy and so grateful for the way that things went that they said, look, if it was up to us, we would have done this differently or that differently or, or had it unfold a different way. But they were so glad that it unfolded the way it did because they said, God knew that this is what would make us the most fulfilled. God knows. He wants us to live. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be planning for that future and planning for that hope. He wants us to be planting gardens right now. He wants us to be making plans. He wants us to be buying houses. He says, I'm coming back. You are where you are, not by chance. I have you there, it's okay. Don't shudder in place. Make that place where you are beautiful. He says, pray for it, pray for this season. Pray for the people. So I want to encourage everybody as we close to live, but in this order. <laughs> First, stop running. If you're home and, and, and sheltering in place, get off of that spiritual treadmill. Look yourself in the eye. Look yourself in the mirror. Deal with whatever it is that God wants to show you. Let that light shine. Believe me that you are not the first person and you are not the last person to not like what it is that you're going to see. There's going to be some difficult things that you're going to have to deal with, but it is the will of God. Choose life. Don't choose death. Jesus came not to condemn you, but to offer you life and life more abundantly. So number one, stop running. Sit down and talk to your spouse. Sit down and talk to your kids. Express yourself. Repent. Confess. All, that's, all those good things. Number two, love and love well. Love is in season. Bless people. Encourage people. Reach out to people. But put truth into those conversations. Like Stephen did. Talk about where people are and how they got there. Talk about where you are and how you got there, where you used to be. Man, it's time for, for some truth in our love. And then finally, if we're able to do that, let's just live well. People should be asking, why are they so happy? Why are they still getting married? Why are they planting gardens? Why are they buying houses? Why are they making plans for, for two weeks from now uh, when I'm trying to figure out how to hoard some more toilet paper? <laughs> let's be different. Let's live. 
We're going to, like we did last week, we're going to give an opportunity for some worship that you could pray. I want to encourage you, like we did last week, just to uh, grab a hold of whoever you're with. If you're alone, good. The Lord knows he's there with you. If you've got someone with you, friends, family, your kids, your spouse, whoever it might be, maybe you guys could be able to have uh, just a moment of truth. Talk to each other. Express some things to one another. Ask each other to, to really listen to each other. Pray for each other. And uh, I believe God will bless that time for you. I want to uh, also just say this idea of speak now or forever hold your peace, right? Don't forget. Don't forget who went silent in this time. Because we know what's going to happen. When things shift, those same voices are going to come back. They're going to be louder than ever. Don't forget that right now, the only thing that matters is life, the source of life. How to maintain life, how to save life. That's, how, that's the only thing people are talking about. That's the only thing people want to hear. They don't want to hear advocates right now. They don't want to hear causes right now. Let's not be forgetful when we come out of this season. Let's stay focused on life. Let's stay focused on saving life. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, for those who are here and those who are watching, partaking in this time, in this service, Lord, I just ask that you would meet them where they are right now. Lord, I ask that you would help them to deal with the question that matters most. Are we alive? Where does this life come from? Are we condemned? Have we condemned ourselves? Have we been condemned by others? Have we convinced ourselves? Have we convinced others, Lord? None of that matters. All that matters is what you say. You say that you've come to give us life and life more abundantly. That whoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life, Lord. Right now, Lord, wherever we are, for anybody who would ask you, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal yourself. That you'd shine your light bright. But that we wouldn't run from what we see. Many of us, Lord, have been overwhelmed by what we've seen. If it was up to us to change it, to fix it, to make it right, to heal it, there's no hope and there's no chance, Lord. But with you, all things are possible. You can forgive, you can change, you can transform, you can heal. And that's what you're asking you to do, Lord. For any who would ask you, Lord, right now, Lord, show yourself. For those who are coming back to you, Lord, that have already been forgiven, who have already been set free, Lord, if we find ourselves far from you, trying to, to go and sin no more, Lord, would you just embrace us, Lord, as we come back to you and we say, how, how, again today, again tomorrow, again the next day, Lord, we're just coming back to you. Be with us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord.
we open our hearts, Lord. Empower us to, to love well. Empower us, Lord, to share you with others. And give us the strength, Lord. Give us the courage to eat, drink, and be merry, Lord. To make the most of this season, Lord. We believe that uh, there's things that you want to, you want us to plant now in this season of quarantine, in this season of captivity, in this season of social distancing. There's things you want us to plant and water now that are going to provide nourishment for us in the weeks and months and years to come, Lord. So have your way. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.